and welcome to Simple But Not Easy, a mindfulness podcast. I am Paul Dager, your host, and in today's episode, we meet Hugh Keating. Hugh is a psychotherapist and occasional artist who values the experience of meditation and contemplation. He lives with his partner and seven pets in Southern Colorado. Please enjoy this discussion with Hugh on how his mindfulness practice has evolved over time. Hugh, welcome. Thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. It has been so much a, a labor of, a, of joy that I've been doing these recordings and feel such a gift to talk to people like yourself sharing your personal mindfulness journey, finding there's such a richness to these conversations that I hope our listeners really get a sense of what mindfulness is all about and how if they've had some struggles and challenges, learning from others who have gotten through to the other side. Where would you like to start our conversation today, Hugh? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Good to be here. It's good to talk about this. I hadn't actually in- initially planned on even contributing. I, I was just like, hey, it sounds like a cool project you're up to. And I was interested to see the outcome. Good to be on the spot too, and to be pushed to to kind of show up about it in more of a public way. Mindfulness, my attraction to it started in recovery from drug and alcohol use okay. in my uh, late 20s and in kind of doing the, the AA thing and being a person who was raised Catholic and and dropped that. So had tension with spirituality or, or religion per okay. se. Not yeah. a big issue with it at all. Just mm-hmm. it wasn't personal, that that was really uncomfortable. If you really talk about praying or something where you're, you really mean it. Yeah. That's a, that's quite a bridge to get over. So anyway, with the, um, so with the recovery thing and being guided to try out daily meditation books and the practice of, of reading some snippet of something and finding that useful over the years, that's become a really a pretty solid habit in terms of spending some time to check in with some other source of something, some wisdom okay. or some guidance. And then I would say about six years ago, or so it got it had always been leaning more toward the kind of the um, the Buddhist or the meditative practices maybe five or six years ago something snapped for me some stressful events and that really increased my motivation to sort of make something more of it and okay. in terms of like meditation practice and going into uh, I am that by Nizara Gadarta yeah I'm not familiar with yeah, that book the non-duality, I am that is the name of the book. Yes, yeah, just some of those ideas in Alan Watts and to explore, yeah, just just ways of being. And, um, and then also professionally being a therapist and quite interested in being able to help people reduce their anxiety, depression. And so I've kind of, that's those two parallels have been there the whole time. So having okay. my personal journey and then <clears throat> professional training and so yeah, just a little bit of reading in the morning is what my practice looks like. It's just, okay. I've fallen into starting my own kind of contemplation journal. It's not necessarily trying to meditate. It's, I do generally read something, a thought pops in my mind that I might add to this day's journal entry, be referencing a book, mm-hmm. a YouTube video I just saw or something and citing it in my little document. And then I'll scratch that down. I'll write that down and, okay. and carry it with me and maybe not look at it for the rest of the day or... I might. That's kind of the, the game plan. So it could be an hour in the morning, or it might be 
10 minutes. That's pretty much it. And I guess one of the things I try to avoid is the significance of meditation and the seriousness of it all and the importance of it. And because that's a whole ego trip, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I went to Naropa for grad school and and the founder, his idea of spiritual materialism, that especially us Americans, we can take anything and sort of move it into like something consumerism. I think that's what I'm hearing you say is like, let's just keep this sort of, I don't know what the adjective is, like practical or real and not make it too lofty. You lose something with that. I I like to call them hacks, actually. I mean, whatever kind of relaxation. It's relaxation, (laughs) really. Yeah, yeah. And it's just coming into more okayness. I can get swept up in the significance oh, of y'all. it. And, yeah, we all can. You know, really get get into it. But I mean, even approaching this conversation, I was thinking about that. Like, oh, oh well, well, what are you doing? Are you this is gonna be important? <laughs> <laughs> you have to say something important about it. No, yeah. no expectations, no pressure. We could be dull and boring and then people yeah. can just listen to us droning out in the background. Yeah. So no expectations. Yeah. One thing I did from grad school also is ritual making. Our modern society, we've kind of of lost that. And when you talked about writing something down and then carrying it with you, it struck me as almost having like a ritual quality to that tangible writing down now plants a seed to play with for the rest of the day and see what shows up as I carry this around in my awareness. Is, am, I, am I picking up on something Yeah, no, there? for sure. I mean, it's living it. It's really yeah. remembering to remember. It's rehearsing it. It's a mm-hmm. practice, but it's also exploration. Yeah, all that. Yeah. I had an interesting, I thought it was a pretty cool idea for an art project, which was I was saving these chits for a year or two and they were just piling up in buckets and stuff. And (laughs) I had glued them onto a a board that I did some painting, a couple of different boards that I did some paintings on. Cool. And what I appreciate is wanting to expand people's definition of what meditation is. And what I'm hearing for you that that with the reading and then writing something down and then taking it and making it into artwork is your practice. Some people may discount, well, that's not meditating. I'm not meditating if I'm doing that. It's like, you know, don't worry about the label. Look at the, what comes out of it, what what the experience is. And that's what I'm hearing. You're offering another variation on a theme of what mindfulness can be for someone. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and probably in the past six months, I have noticed a change in, just the sitting. I'm getting into some periods where I could just, especially in the evening, just sit for an hour or two and just have the lights off and just be sitting. And that may fall more under the kind of typical or traditional like a meditation. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just being right. It's, I'm not sure, but I think that's what I, that's what I see it as. It's just, you're grooving on being. That's it. And what are you finding in the being? You know, it's, with the identification of I've got to be and do this thing. And primarily it's, I've got to achieve these outcomes, which I don't have full control over. Mm -hmm. And and I've never fully wrapped them all up or forgiven myself for the things that have failed or whatever. Um, So as the alarm center is settling down, I think that the okay state is expanding and I'm getting, okay. I've gotten a taste for it. I'm starting to to really value it, even though it's this empty fullness of stillness and, and basically nothing. The being that, yeah, I mean, it's just that you're just getting a taste for it. I, t- I tell people it's like getting a taste for water. You know, you just, it's, it's easily missed. And it was, it took me longer. And I think that's the problem with mental health and addiction is that middle space is may never have been experienced. Not sure what that it's like to hang out there. I'm also hearing this quality of similar to fall. You can't force yourself to sleep. 
you fall asleep. That sounds like when you, because I don't want to set people up again with this striving sense of that it should feel a certain way, that there's this opportunity of settling in that yeah. you can't make it happen. It's more about creating the conditions for it to present. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. And really just the more the, the okayness state expands and we become more, or I've become more familiar with it, the more yeah. I can notice that these things that would be fun or appealing or distracting, it becomes more obvious that they're a little bit of suffering. You know, it's a little mm. bit of, te- it's just adding tension or, you know, Okay. The short-term gain, you start to expose it for what it really is, those other habits or behaviors compared to finding this state of being. Yes. Where in the beginning, yes, telling someone to just to just sit. It's like that alone. That's it's torture. Like, not even to tell your mind to shut up, but just yeah, to yeah. sit. It's like just sit still and do nothing. It's like can be really, yeah, uncomfortable. I want to spend some time on that point, recognizing that for someone just starting out and not setting them up for, I mean, sometimes there's a honeymoon experience the first few times you practice formal meditation, but eventually there's a wall that I think we all run into. I'm curious, what would you share from that transition from you, from those kind of early struggle into now making contact with being to encourage someone to hang in there? What would your words of wisdom on that? You know, I I don't know that it's, um, I also don't really use even the term formal meditation. It's just like, this it's more especially in the beginning it's more about knowing what the problem is it's going toward the problem yeah this is my source of suffering and Uh, does it sound right that this is how it this is how it all came together you know okay okay like a person who's experienced this internal state may not even be aware of it they just know that they have some pain and suffering occasionally like the idea of being willing to look at what's between my ears you know and just consider that that is driving my suffering, which of course affects every action, every window of opportunity for choices, what choices are going to come out. My stress levels at a three versus an eight mm-hmm. out of 10. That's a different world of choices and turning towards rather than turning away from that static between the years. I think I hear you saying. Correct. Yeah. Going toward it. Like it's the reason we want to do where we're, we're looking for something. Yeah. This is the hard sell is that it's just remembering to remember it. It's only good for a couple of seconds, you know, <laughs> and you may not notice. Don't let the secret out. <laughs> <laughs> you may not notice a change in your alarm center for years, right. your reactivity or whatever. Doing a hack, like I think of a, I have a, I call it posture, breathe, smile. None of it's original, but just the idea that I spend three to five minutes checking in with posture, arranging core a couple seconds, and then Mm -hmm. think about breathing without any big, just natural breathing. But if my shoulders are down, it's going to compel me to abdominal breathe and then smile. So generating a half smile and then going back through this, like a Rolodex for three to five minutes Cool. is a hack. I think of it as a hack. It's related to some of the meditation practices, and it also illuminates the alarm center, the effect on the alarm center of, hey, the survival response is going to, it doesn't take orders. We're not in charge of it. Mm -hmm. We can't tell it what to do. If we're smiling or our posture is kind of a little bit more upright and we're belly breathing, it's going to be convinced that we're okay, that we're not, uh, you know, under attack. And so we can drop our stress level down a couple of 
clicks. What I like about that is it's a structured way of flipping the switch from sympathetic to parasympathetic. By by bringing the, this structure to our bodies, it informs our minds that, hey, I'm okay. Exactly. On a physical and, level, know, yeah. Yeah. Ed Podville, Seduction of Madness, which is, I don't think it's in print. Oh. He spoke about islands of clarity. And he actually worked with folks that had like extreme states, like diagnosed schizophrenia, and even found that we all have these moments of clarity, but we miss them. And that's what I heard you describing a moment ago was we tend to rush past these moments of being in clarity because we got to yeah. get onto whatever. And your your hacks to me create touch points throughout the day that allow us to start to notice, oh, this is what it feels. This is... I haven't felt this before. And yeah, there mm -hmm. could be some attraction you know, to, I want more of that. And recognizing the only way we get more of it is by, again, creating the conditions. Is that, mm -hmm. it sounds yeah. like that's what I hear you saying. Right, right. Let the thing sell itself kind of thing. Yeah. If yeah. you notice that you have a slight improvement in ease, it's the hard sell is that the alcohol, the drugs or whatever, sex or anything, mm -hmm. the, the screen time, those things are, have this instant effect and it's this, it's a quieter kind of effect. It almost reminds me in people talking about like, if you eat like heavy, sugary, fat laden foods and like the first time you take a bite of just a raw vegetable, you're like, well, there's nothing there. And it, it's, you, you have so desensitized. Yeah. And that almost sounds like I hear you describe it. Some of these other habits, they're so like a sledgehammer to our sensory system. We need to almost recalibrate. Yeah. To make contact with this other state of being. Right, right. Just, and, and really just noticing it noticing the dynamic and does it even fit cool and your hacks invite a chance to check in and make contact with it to see what is this other way of being like right yeah and the significance i mean i think that's what i get notice in is sort of uh, tension with in terms of some meditative practices is that the more significant it's supposed to be this is counterproductive the okay. alarm center is already making everything more significant than it needs to be in the oh. first place so if i'm attaching all this significance to it it's like it's just increasing our stress level this right. unintentionally for me anyway well, no, what I'll hear then is when we, we have all these expectations, these shoulds about, okay, if I do this meditation correctly, I should feel X, Y, Z. And what I hear you saying is we're already pushing it further away and activating our alarm system, which puts us in a completely different state. Right. Just by yeah. having that should. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're just wanting. And so that's the going toward the problem. So, okay. Well, yeah, it's clear. I want this. I want okay. to find more ease. And I'm just, and, and so then I'm just curious about it. I'm interested in it so I can explore it. I think the other thing, Paul, and this idea that we've, we, we all know where this thing is. We've all experienced this state of okayness or being or whatever yeah. Yeah. in a daydream or whatever it was, that it's an, it's an inherent part of us that we're just trying to reconnect with or rediscover. You reminded me of when I was studying this stuff back in grad school and learning about peak experiences. I went to school up in Boulder and the library faced the Flatirons. And one evening I came out of the library and the sun was hitting the flat irons just right where they have that they have a red glow like all the famous pictures of the flat irons it's that red glow mm -hmm. and i had this moment of just taking that in and i'm gonna throw a heavy word of oneness like there was no separation between me and those flat irons yeah. and then all of a sudden in my head i thought I'm having a peak experience wow. and there was this room collapsing down and like, I want that back. I want that back. <laughs> and the more that I craved having it back, the further I pushed it away. How about and, it? That's and it, classic. It was so 
powerful to have that stark contrast. Like, oh, now I get it. Mm -hmm. And I get how we typically, if I was lost in my thoughts coming out of the library and didn't make eye contact and received that beauty, never would have had that experience. And even then, if I had all these ruminating thoughts about like maybe the assignment or the paper, I would have pushed it away. And how much we're missing out on during our day that these opportunities are probably fairly available and we miss out on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's very exciting. I mean, I I think of astronomy, I think of all sorts of things, physics and just all these, there's just so much mystery. There's so much Mm -hmm. mystery in this. Like why can just sitting and being in your own skin all of a sudden feel like really compelling after 58 years or nine years or whatever. And yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That's kind of exciting. You know, this thought of just sitting here could have, I think awe is the word that comes to mind for these experiences. Mm -hmm. Like I was thinking the first time Mm -hmm. I saw the rings of Saturn, it was just awe looking through that telescope. Wow. Yeah. And that may be more available to us than we tend to believe. Approaches like your hacks tend to tilt us in that direction more so. Right, right. And this, and and then we'll be swept up again because I'm still this this person and Thank have you. these interests and yes. have these fears and I'll get swept up in it. But gosh, it's a great buffer. I mean, the the challenging the significance of it. Like I think the idea that we can really make this being state very tangible and part of our experience of being alive. I mean, agree. That's, yeah, yeah. And that the problem with these outcomes all day long running through here is mainly the significance and the intensity that I'll attribute to them, to these outcomes that I may have usually definitely not full control over, but it's to be in on the joke with that. that the in on the joke. I love that. Well, and I think I really appreciate you bringing it back down again that I always like the joke. We can't hang out and peak experience 24 seven. Sometimes you got to balance the checkbook. Do people still do that? balance checkbooks. I don't know. But there's times where like, I still need to like, there's practical things and there's value to that state as well. And more about bringing this yeah. balance into my life, I think is what I hear you saying. Yeah, for sure. We don't like suffering. We are going to experience it. We can experience it. We can and we can and will. We don't have a choice. It's just happening. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to go through it. The good stuff doesn't make us better. That's okay. just like the valuelessness of I've always been okay. You've always been okay. Nice. You, you always were enough. There was never yeah. anything to prove. There was, and that's the detachment from the outcomes. The outcomes having less significance than my alarm center and identity and experiences yeah. led me to believe where I got to avoid the bad ones and I've got to really hang on to the good ones because they make my value or whatever. That's um, a lot of work doing all that. Yeah. But I like the idea of I always, I always have been okay and I am okay. Yeah. 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 The being state has, there's no value in any of it. Right. I mean that some of that stuff that gets kind of radical, but this being, you know, like I'm just like a leaf on a tree, you know, I mean, it's just Uh dog sitting next to me here. You know, they're just, we're just being, you know, there's, we're doing our best. We have failures, right? Just right. humiliation and shame and whatever. But the the idea is like, yeah, we're usually, you know, we're doing our best. You know, we're trying to achieve these outcomes in life and, and mm-hmm. with what we have. Do you know the story of the farmer's horse and the, the leg broke or something? And the, yeah, because that's what a comes bad to mind. Well, maybe. Right. We'll that's see. what I hear you describing no, he is. Yeah. Now he didn't go to war. And yeah. Yeah. Right. The, the neighbors keep pushing for, well, you've got to be happy about this. You got to be angry about this. And he's like, yeah, this is, this is what's happening. Yeah. And I'm okay. Yeah. It's almost like the neighbors are getting irate. Like you must be happy. You must be yeah. sad or angry and he won't take the bait. Yeah. 
That's what I, I hear you describing. Yeah. No, and I actually had an experience with a neighbor. Uh, I lived out in Arizona and uh, in a dusty old little rural town of Kingman. And I had a neighbor across the street, little old man living in uh, a younger man's house, I think through their church. And this guy was kind of like an elf. And I would run into him on the street, just tiny little old man. And he always had a big smile on his face and kind of a twinkle in his eyes. And Hmm. I would just see him and I just want to say hi, you know, and he would usually not say much about his own situation really ever. And then, but you know, and I'd always have something to say about whatever was happening that day. And he always said, that's interesting. So, oh, that's interesting. And it occurred okay. to me like years later that that was like the horse, you know, the yeah, horse yeah. story. The, he had this just being state that was just so solid. It was like. And yeah, he was, just, he was witnessing whatever you showed up with. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Very cool. Reflecting on what we've covered today, I'm wondering any loose ends or final thoughts? Yeah. I mean, what's this been like for you? Oh, it has been such a gift. It's like a it's like a talking meditation I find with folks. Mm-hmm. I'm just hanging out in this space and hearing about someone's experience with mindfulness, and each one's been so varied. And really trusting the conversation is going to go where it needs to go. I'm just loving it. Yeah. Well, thank you for valuing it and going with this, going with your gut on this to to just throw it out there. Yeah, just it's cool. Yeah, really cool. Well, thank you so much. This was fun. Simple But Not Easy, a mindfulness podcast is produced by me, Paul Dager. And uh, thank you for putting up with my lack of technical skills. A huge thank you to my guests today for sharing their story and insights. And a thank you to Jacob Morrison, Juliana Castro, and Trevin Stiegel, my friends and mentors in how to make a podcast. I miss you guys. And Andrea Romack, who gave me my first podcast hosting experience at Psychub. And of course, thank you to my listeners for joining me on this journey along the path of waking up and being mindful together. If you find value in this podcast, please like, write a review, and share with your family and friends. Be well all until we meet again in our next episode.